Amen. Thank you, brother. Thanks, man. All right. Amen. All right. Well, if you have a Bible, go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, that's where we're going to be. I know normally here, let me explain to you. Normally, if you, if you gather with us, we plow through books of the Bible. So this is a little bit of a different Sunday, but an important one. Uh, we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 uh, for most of our time together. And uh, generally, we go through books of the Bible. We feel it keeps us honest with the Scriptures, number one. Uh, and number two, it actually helps us see that all that God might want to say. So we can't skip around. We can't just uh, tease and pull out texts and make you believe them because we're convicted by uh, something. We want you to see the full counsel of God and all that God might want to say in those Scriptures. But this morning... Um, we're going to talk about basically what uh, Peter's new job is and what my job is. So I basically get to yell at myself for the next 30 minutes, and then we get to go home. Okay, so a little odd, but it will be encouraging, and I promise you there is stuff for us. Now, let me, let me just say this out of the gate. I want to make sure you hear this up front and clear, okay? I, what I'm about to lay before us in regards to elders and pastors and overseers is not exhaustive. Um, if you go through our new members class, you're going to hear in great detail uh, what all of these things mean, what it looks like. So there, there's time for that. I think our next one is July 22nd, so, so don't miss that. If you're not a covenant member, you're looking to explore membership here at this church, we, we tease that out. We, we get that explained in much more detail, so, so don't look for that. This is a 30-minute overview kind of reminding us and reminding myself and all of us as the people of God what this is because um, structure matters, order matters. Um, Paul actually praises the Colossian church for their order, for the ways that they, they structured themselves. So, so God speaks clearly in this. This isn't like uh, God kind of lets us figure it out. No, he says what it should look like, what it should be, and so I want to go to his word to see this. So um, here's what First Timothy is. First Timothy is a letter written by Paul who planted a church in Ephesus and um, pastored it for a number of years. He's now going to hand off this church to a young pastor named Timothy, um, and he's going to basically encourage him in this church. And here's basically what um, he does. In the first chapter out of the gate, he shows us that the bedrock of the church is Jesus Christ, okay? Jesus is God. He lived a life fully without sin. He died in our place as our substitute, took the weight and wrath of God towards us in our sin, rises, and faith alone and salvation is found through, through his name alone. And so now we can walk empowered by his Holy Spirit, but he never leaves as the central kind of cornerstone or bedrock to the church of Jesus Christ. That is, that is who he is. That is what he ultimately um, sustains forever. And so um, as he goes through this, he'll continue to bring Timothy back to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is central. Jesus Christ is the one. Jesus Christ is your authority, right? So in us, there's not really any intrinsic special authority um, that we have. In, in other words, we are under the authority of the Word of God. So I hope that you as the sheep of this church never place your full confidence in me or in the pastors of the church, but you put it in the authority of the Word of God and in Jesus Christ, okay? That's where your confidence is, and that's a really safe place to be. And then underneath that, he gives you pastors to shepherd and encourage and really point you to Jesus Christ. Now, here's why this all matters where you see this land in 1 Timothy 3. And this is why it is super important that we all get this and understand this right here. Um, by God's grace, we now have officially five elders, right? Five pastors, five overseers to help and assist in serving this church. Um, but contrary to popular opinion or belief, none of us are the leader of this church. <laughs> so you're like, there, there is, we have got to understand that, that there might be elder change. I, I don't know how long God has me here. I don't know what God has in store. I, I pray it's years and years and years. Uh, there might be elder changes on the lay elder level, vocational level, um, level. I don't know. But listen, no matter what kind of changes you see happen, um, there is no leadership change. 
there is only one leader of this church, and that's Jesus Christ. Like, he is the leader of the church of God. You're going to see it repeatedly in the scriptures. So um, ultimately, this is not Mike Reed's church. This is not the elder's church. This is not your church. Uh, this is not my church. This is Jesus' church. In fact, if you want to go look at Matthew 16, he says, I'm going to build my church. He didn't say I'm going to build Mike Reed's church or the elders of Church of Bergen's church or your and my church. He says, I'm going to build my church and hell itself will not prevail against it. So we have got to remember the one who planted this church was Jesus. The one who's going to sustain this church is Jesus. The one who's going to be the most faithful pastor and shepherd of this church is Jesus. So you know what's awesome? My job, Peter's job, the elder's job is very, very simple. All we're doing is pointing you to him. That's our job. And as soon as a pastor or elder or overseer stops pointing you to him, you should run from that place. If they start pointing you to themselves, they start pointing you to other glories or other places, if they're there for selfish gain and not to shepherd you to him, to the shores of glory, that's not a place you should be. And so the leader, the pastor of the church of Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ, hence why it's called the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay, so we're going to get into 1 Timothy 3 with that understood, with that groundwork laid. This is not exhaustive. We're under him. He's the highest authority. He's the chief shepherd that we have. And here's what um, now Paul does, is he, is he shows us there are these things, there are these qualifications before you appoint these men to this office. And, and look, as I speak on behalf of the elders today when I say this, I think one of the most important things to remember is that regardless of how the Lord plans to use um, every one of us, we all have the goal of loving, following, submitting, and listening to Jesus. Um, the picture you're going to see here is just Christian maturity. Like, it's not, it's not like, hey, we strive for this, and then you guys do something else. It's we're all striving to be these things, because these things more perfectly and robustly image Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can fully exude and imitate the qualifications that are about to be examined here without the need to repent without the need to return to the gospel for grace. Um, that's what we're going to see here. And so listen, no, no matter what role you serve in, the majority of us will never serve in the role of elder, pastor, uh, but this text is still important for all of us. And I heard one pastor say it was so helpful. Uh, it's not an exam to be passed, but a compass that continually points you back to him and realigns your life, right? So Peter, it's getting started now. Like he didn't pass the exam and now he's good, right? He, it's now that compass for his life that continues to point him to his need for Jesus. So 1 Timothy 3, here is what you'll see. And you're going to see this out of the gate. You need the help of the Holy Spirit to, to do any of these things. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer, that's elder, pastor. These words are interchangeable in the New Testament, so it means the same thing. Must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Listen, I reread these this week, studying for this. So listen, this is <laughs> a bit odd and a bit weighty to be reminding myself of the very things that God expects of me, right? Not just Peter, not just the other elders. And then fundamentally to follow, expects of all of us, right? 
Um, and so these qualifications, you read them for an elder or pastor, are very high. It doesn't say anything about Bible college, seminary, inter- denomination, ordination. I'm not uh, denigrating theological education. I'm just saying the best place to learn to live as a pastor and grow in the graces of Jesus Christ is the church. Um, those are great acts for. They were un- uneducated, ordinary men. They couldn't believe that God would use men like them. So there's always a, a staggering picture of mercy as you look at pastors and elders where you're going, yeah, there's nothing intrinsically in themselves that make them grace. Jesus Christ and his mercy and grace flowing through them and empowering them that they could possibly live this type of life. And people who repent of sin and regularly turn back to this Jesus who saved them. And so, um, and the reason I also say that is I'm not... Um, I'm still in seminary. I've been in it for like 50 years, even though I'm only like 30-something. So uh, I, the light's at the end of the tunnel. It's starting to appear. But um, that, that, that alone is not what creates a pastor, right? It, it can support. It can encourage. It can build upon. But ultimately, this list is about character. Um, ultimately, everything you're going to see here is basically about who the man is. Now, now here's why this matters. Um, character matters because everything between you and I and Peter and you and the leadership in you is really character, right? It's really trust. Um, trust between you and me leads to healthy leadership, which leads to healthy sheep, which leads to healthy church. Um, and so character is what really matters. Everything's based on that. Um, so if, if elders don't have character, and by that I mean ultimately a life of repentance, it'll ultimately fall apart very quickly. We can see that across the landscape. Like, we don't have time to even talk about that. So uh, first thing you see is an aspiration. This person has aspiration. They aspire to this. Now, this is not an arrogant aspiration. This isn't, hey, you guys are doing everything wrong. I can fix this church. You guys are just a dump. You guys aren't doing this thing right. Hey, I can do it. Help me come in here. He's going to show later that he, he's very humble. He's, he's submissive to the other elders. So, so it's not this arrogant aspiration. It's this deep calling within his soul and being saying, I, I love this church. I love these people. And I feel called by God to serve this particular place in this particular time and season. We believe that God gives elders to particular local churches. We don't believe that it's just, hey, just figure out, roll the dice, and then maybe you should pastor there, pastor there, pastor there. We believe that that God has a unique calling that says, I want you to pastor this specific flock for the glory and fame of his name. That makes it meaningful, makes it personal, and that's what it means in this aspiration that he desires to, he feels led by God to, he feels burdened to love, serve a specific flock that is among the church of Jesus Christ. And it says that he desires this in this desire, he must be above reproach. Now, that's just an overarching qualification. Um, the Bible can't list all the dumb things a pastor could do to disqualify himself because the Bible wouldn't be big enough. So what he did was gave you a junk drawer. This is just, in, in a sense, he, it's, a, it's, a, it's a junk drawer for a, this, this, this qualifying life. In other words, the, the marks, the marks of his life, the patterns of his life should not be one that shames the gospel. Like he, The pattern of his life shouldn't be one of being harsh with his wife. Doesn't mean he doesn't have weak moments, but the pattern of what you see in him should not be that. Um, the pattern, and you see him in community, shouldn't be that he shames gospel living. Um, you shouldn't see him, if he's a business owner, the, the pattern of his life should not be that he's not a man of integrity. Um, that's what it's saying. He should be above reproach. In general, you should look at this person and say, this is who they are. This is how they live. And let me say that these are not men who live a perfect life, but a faithful life, a repentant life. Um, we are going to let you down many times. Peter's going to let you down. He, he's going to uh, maybe even do things un- subconsciously to, that, that, that hurt you. 
I might do those things. Maybe I've already done those things. Maybe other elders have. But in the end, we look to see that do they turn back to Jesus Christ and ask for forgiveness and walk in the light, confessing their sin, right? Not sins that are disqualifying, but just the residual effects of the fall that, we all, that all dwell all of us. Are these the type of men that they are? Then Paul says something that carries a good, carries a good amount of debate. Uh, he's the husband of one wife. Um, some people say that this means that an elder who's not married cannot be a pastor. Um, he cannot serve if he's not married. We don't believe that only married men can be elders. We believe that it's wise. It's very helpful. There's uniqueness to a married man who can counsel married couples and their families. But um, there's nothing explicit in the Scripture that speak to that a, an unmarried man cannot serve as an elder. Uh, basically, just two reasons. One is... Paul was an elder, and he wasn't married when he penned this. Uh, he's writing to Timothy, who's likely a single man. Jesus Christ was single, never married. Uh, there's nothing we see to where that's, that's prescriptive. The second thing is um, the literal meaning here speaks to sexual faithfulness. Uh, it speaks to moral purity. He's a one-woman man. What this means is that Paul is saying if this elder is married, he's committed to, devoted to, desirous of one woman exclusively. Um, now listen, you single men, if, if you're in here, a lot come to the 11, they love to sleep in. But if you're, you're here right now and you're a single man, you became a one-woman w- man yesterday, right? If you're a Christian, uh, that means that you don't just like uh, flirt in, incessantly with women, you don't serial date, you don't test drive God's daughters, you, you love and are desirous of one woman until God gives her to you and until then you wait patiently and honorably for that woman. Like, that's you. So, so you're already striving for this. This is already who you are in the deepest core of your being. If you're, you're single, this doesn't exempt you. This makes you ever more ferocious in holiness, loving Jesus more than marriage. Listen, marriage is great. It ain't God. I say that all the time. The ultimate place for us to arrive at is not marriage as a church. Man, I love the singles in this church. I want you to grow in your singleness and serve the glory of God in your singleness. If you get married, it brings on more challenges and more weight, more sanctification that is different from being single. But listen, if this is you, you look at this by saying that you're going to be someone who will have desire and passion and zeal and interest in one woman alone. And if God never gives me to her, I'll still remain faithful to him. Um, that's our hope. That's our prayer. He says, um, and the reason, here's, here's why I say this before we go to the next one. Um, I have I've seen fewer things cause more damage in ministry than anything else. And I mean that to the married elders and to the single men. Is sexual perversion. And us being zealous over the lusts and loves of our flesh over Jesus Christ. Uh, and if we just look at the landscape, you just Google Doc pastors that have, I don't know, train wrecked churches or fallen off the bandwagon. You can almost zero it back down to that, that lust of something other than him. Uh, lust for their ministry, lust for their fame, lust for whatever that thing might be. So this is important. This is important. Uh, he's sober-minded and self-controlled. Uh, he's not characterized as someone who's carried away by his passions. Uh, he's a guy who's not easily angered. He hopefully has a reputation of not being bullheaded. Um, he, he's life-giving to be around. That's what it speaks to. Like you leave not feeling condemned. You leave feeling refreshed. You leave feeling encouraged. Even after rebuke. Even after a strong word. You know the place that it's coming from. That's the type of heart an elder exudes. You feel refreshed being with them. They're shepherds. He's respectable. You're seeing Paul's primary concern for character, right? He cares about who they are. Being respectable means as people watch the ways that he lives and interacts with God and others, there's a respect to that, right? I see the way he interacts with God and others, and there's, there's a respect to how he does that. He's hospitable. 
this is more than just you having people over to your home and being able to grill a mean steak. I mean, that's awesome, but that's, that's not what this is primarily speaking about. It actually talks about here, the translation actually means a lover of strangers. Um, so what that means is, is people in pastor and, 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 and elder roles, they're, they're men who, this, this alludes to the fact that he's a man who loves to engage the lost world around him. Uh, he realizes that all the stuff that he has is ultimately to serve those who are dying and perishing apart from Christ and loves to find ways to win them to the gospel. Loves inviting the neighbor that does not know Jesus into his home. Uh, does not see his uh, street as a cul-de-sac for him, but a cul-de-sac for the gospel advancement. Um, that's what it means for us to be hospitable. Um, so the gift of being able to welcome those outside the faith into your life is the gift of an elder, and hopefully the gift of all of us that he grows us in. He's able to teach. Uh, this does not mean that every elder will be a pulpit stage teacher. Uh, this does not mean that everyone has the ability to wow a crowd. Uh, this just means that this person needs to be able to teach, right, in lots of environments. Some will be up here preaching in this way. First Timothy 5 seems to make a distinction that, that give elders double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching, but, but all elders are called to teach. That means if you ask him what the gospel is, he can clearly explain it, how faith works, he can clearly explain it. Uh, he can teach you the ways of the scriptures. He's able to spot false teaching. I've been so encouraged, just so you know, um, at our elders and how they've been able to spot things I haven't even seen, all of them. And they're not even the ones primarily preaching from the pulpit up here, but they're able to spot what's wrong, what's false, where there's error, so we can walk in glory and walk in the truth and walk in the ways of the Lord. He's not a drunkard. That's a pretty good rule of thumb. Drunks don't make good elders. Uh, usually works that way. Next one. Uh, they're violent but gentle. They're not quarrelsome. I think this is very important. Um, they're not quarrelsome. One of the fascinating things you'll see in the scriptures is that word quarrelsome comes up over and over and over, not just speaking of church leadership, but just to us as God's people. So, so here's the weird thing that I've always found. Um, as people grow in their holiness, uh, they grow in their haughtiness. <laughs> So I'm going, no, no, uh, the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5 say as you grow in theological knowledge, as you grow in your understanding of the gospel, that should create a humility about you, not a dogmaticism about you. Um, and what's weird is that's why I think Paul's so aggressive in saying, man, this is the guy where his pride even in such a way is used uh, to where he thinks I'm going to argue about things that maybe I don't even fully believe in just to prove a point. Um, this is the guy where, where he is uh, constantly the cynic. Uh, sometimes he'll argue simply for the sake of arguing. He wants to make sure people hear his perspective, even, even, even if he doesn't fully agree with it. That's, that, that means there's no place for that in an elder. Uh, he's not someone who's quarrelsome. He's not looking to stir up division. He's not looking to stir the pot. Um, he's gracious. He's gentle not violent. He's gracious with his words and conversation. He's not looking to prove a point, but mature someone in Jesus. He's going to constantly point you there. That's who this man is. He's looking for ways to build up, not just tear it down. Um, he's not just looking to spot sin in your life. He's looking to edify in the ways that you're walking in accordance with Jesus. He looks for that before he even hopefully looks to spot sin, because that reveals a lot of the heart. He's not a lover of money. Uh, this means the pursuit in his life is not personal wealth. Money's not his God. His decisions aren't based solely by his passions. It also doesn't mean that he's poor. Okay, it doesn't mean he lives in a shack. It doesn't mean he abandons the, the market and he lives off one cent a day and somehow that's holy. Okay, he, you got unholiness and poverty as much as unholiness in riches. 
He's speaking about the heart of the man and how he chooses to use what God gives him for the good of the church and good of the Lord. This is, this is one of the reasons that, that I loved the Acts 29 process. I walked through the assessment process to, to plant this church. Not only had the affirmation of the elders at my previous church down in Virginia, we moved up here five years ago, but, but it was the most brutal process ever, which is why I adopted some of it into our elder process for these guys that have uh, been walking through it. I and mean, we all come through, it like, looks like we went through a, a freaking shower or sauna, right? We're just like dripping on this thing is exhausted. But I had over 10 to 11 months, 80 pages of theology written essays from my wife, recommendations from their pastors and sermon tapes and audios. But the, the one thing they did was they looked at every financial statement of mine. They saw how your track record of giving. They saw how you postured your money. They, thought they saw how you saved and how you stewarded. Um, everything was just there. Um, he shouldn't be a lover of money. He shouldn't be somebody who lives in that type of way. And uh, so they wanted to see that. And it's one of the reasons I really appreciated having a trusted organization and assessment process that could help kind of weed through these things. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Paul's saying if he has a wife and children and can't serve and lead and love his home, how could he do that with the bigger family of God? How could he do that? This also alludes to what does the family say about him? Does his wife respect him? Um, do, if he has children, do they respect and honor him? doesn't mean they're not disobedient. Elders' kids aren't perfect kids. They sin like every other kid. But is there, is there a posture towards their father in a way that's respectful and honoring in how they see him and view him? A lot of things here that he would say. He must not be a recent convert. Or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace into the snare of the devil. Shouldn't be a new convert. If you're not on Team Jesus, you can't lead and love Team Jesus. Right? That's just, that's base in point. But he also says not a new convert. There needs to be seasons. There needs to be time in the person's life where there's clear evidences of grace in the man. Right? Not just someone who makes a decision, and then they're like, hey, throw him in as a preacher and elder and leader in the church. I mean, give it time. Let, let's see what happens with that, brother. Um, give time to see the gospel take root. There are pastors who aren't Christians. They are Judases. Um, they live, preach, teach, lead for their own fame, not for the church of Jesus Christ, for the church of their name. They love to try to make themselves wealthy over making others poor. That's very common, especially in Western evangelicalism. Um, is this person not a recent convert? So God doesn't let new Christians be pastors because he loves them. Because he loves them. Anyone can make a decision for Jesus, but to see Jesus Christ be the center of their life, and the gospel, the thing that they continue to come back to, and to see a pattern of repentance in their life, that takes time. That takes time. Right, see fruit come in the tree of that, that good tree. Fruit takes time to see. You don't just plant the seed and go, man, next morning, where is it? Why don't I have the tree? I mean, that's, that's grown over time. There's track record in their life. Do they leave behind them a wake of disaster or a wake of health? It's one thing we love. We look at these men. When they meet with people or spend time with others, what, are they someone where everyone's going, man, he's a jerk. Don't want to be near him. Wow, he was brutal. He was, or was it? Man, that was life-giving. That was, and I, I can say just one of the things I'm most thankful for with Peter is your all's testimony about how Peter, just by you being with him, has affected your life in the ways that are positive and grown you in the gospel of grace. It's deeply encouraging. It says they also should be thought well of by outsiders. Uh, this protects 
pastors and elders from uh, having hypocritical living. Uh, we've all know people that can teach and preach about hell on Sunday and live like hell Monday through Saturday, right? Uh, they, they, church on Sunday is the hobby for them, but they're actual diving to the scriptures themselves. They're actual walking in humility themselves. Them actually engaging the lost world around them themselves. Them actually pursuing holiness themselves is something that you don't really see Monday through Saturday. But they can talk about it on Sunday. Um, so there's a place where outsiders should see them and say generally, if they hear that that person's becoming a pastor elder, oh yeah, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. Even if there's some confusion, like obviously I say when people meet me, they're, they're confused because I don't wear a collar, but I'm not talking about that type of confusion. I mean just the character of the man. Would they say on your block where you live, if your neighbors found out that you were going to be an elder or pastor, yeah, that makes sense. I've, heard, I've seen him out with his wife. I've seen him with his children. I've been inside their home. I've, that's weighty. That's weighty. So this is who they are. But understand, all he's done here is just put before us what progressive sanctification leads us all to, right? So, so when all is said and done here, all these things you just heard, it's, what he's not doing here is showing us there's supposed to be this elite group of men that is so far beyond what anyone else will ever be. That's not what he's doing. It's not at all what he's doing. In fact, what he's doing here is what's happening is he's setting it up going, hey, this is what mature faith looks like. This is what a life looks like that pursues Jesus Christ. That makes Jesus Christ his fame, Jesus Christ his God, Jesus Christ his worth. And so um, a man or woman is not mature in the faith, right? Well, all hope is lost. If a man is not mature in his faith, how could he be a faithful elder? And so let me say, um, to be a faithful pastor starts with just being faithful to Jesus. Like, like, that's all it is. Like, we should be just faithful to Jesus first. And then that should be a natural progression. Now, here's how this works uh, at this church, in case you were curious. Uh, we're an elder-led, elder-governed church, right? So, so what we see in the scriptures is that God has clearly established a plurality of men to lead, serve, and love the church that he has given them in its locality, right? Uh, that being church at Bergen here. Um, I, that means I'm one vote on the board. I can get fired. I can get disciplined. I can get censored. Uh, I, I can, all those things, right? We even mocked up the Constitution and bylaws. It was actually just me as the only official elder before, as we had an, a board that was helping before we installed Pastor Mike, Pastor John, Pastor Don. And we actually made sure we wrote in there, not just things for me selfishly, but for the church at large to be healthy. So I said, uh, lead pastor can be fired at any time, uh, can be removed by the, the plurality of the elders, and just so you know, that was putting me in the gate. That wasn't giving me an out, um, because I want to make sure that we had written policies in place before we even started this thing that were healthy for the church, not just a good win for me. And so, so the, the, I, I serve as one, vo one, one voice, one vote, and we work together seeking God's good of the church together. Polarity is very, very important. And we see that then there are repentant men who should lead, govern, oversee, teach, and walk with the people of God. Um, this is why we're really big believers in 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy 5, it's amazing. After you read this, he says, don't be hasty in laying hands on those men. Um, actually give them time, right? Don't just throw people in leadership. Like, let, let's see maturity over time. Here's why that's important. And here's what you might not know. When Paul plants Ephesus, 10 to maybe more years have gone by before he tells Timothy, hands it off to Timothy, and tells him to appoint elders. You guys were screaming at me after one year wanting elders, right? Talk about the Apostle Paul has got 10 years going. Man, I'm, I'm laboring. I'm looking. I'm looking for evidences of grace. We're, we're doing a year-long elder process. We should do it nine, 
right? So, so if we're going to be really faithful, right? I mean, you don't have to do that. That's not prescriptive in here. But I'm saying it's encouraging to say this is why we believe that the process should be long and that we should really bring them in slowly and not quickly. The worst thing you could ever do, the worst way we could love you is to put the wrong person in the wrong seat way prematurely. Just, that goes in any business you own. Hire slow, fire fast, right? It's a freebie. So, so here, here's the last part that I want to look at is what do they do? That's who they are. What do they do? First Peter 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that God is, that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So there's two things you're going to see in this text. Shepherding and oversight. That's the job of the elders and pastors, shepherding and oversight. Um, it's simply saying that he shepherds first. He, he guards, he instructs, he directs the flock while caring for them individually. So there's this, there's this okay, we're the, the, the hundreds of us that, that gather, and I, I, we instruct, we encourage, and we lead, and also at an individual level, we get with you, we talk with you, we walk with you. That's what elders do. They, they shepherd the flock of God, and it's personal. He loves being with the sheep, and the sheep love being around them, I hope. Maybe some of you hate being with me. That's fine. You can go to another elder. We got Peter now. We can throw everybody to Peter, right? So, so there's, a, there's a genuineness where he enjoys being with the sheep. The sheep love being with them. It doesn't mean every personality is going to fit. It doesn't mean that you're going to enjoy having a cup of coffee with the same guy. I mean, that's why I love plurality. That's why we love, hey, go to different elders that might uniquely walk with you and instruct you in ways that are more helpful for you in their wirings and their personality. But he loves to shepherd the flock of God. He loves being with the sheep and around the sheep. So they're able to point the sheep in a direction and lead them in trusting the safe places they can grow and mature. And he says, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. Um, so the second thing elders are to do is oversee the flock. So not only do we walk alongside, walk along with, do we instruct, do we encourage, do we bear burdens, do we pray with, do we serve, do we encourage, do we point to Christ, we remind you of the gospel, but we also are to oversee, which means we look at the church as a whole and say, is this working? Is this where God wants us to go? Is this a stake we got to put our flag in the ground? Is this a gospel issue or not a gospel issue? Is this where God might be leading us as a people, not just individuals? There's oversight, not just shepherding? Is this a non-negotiable thing? Is this a doctrinal thing that needs to be tweaked or changed or increased? We look at those things. And what Peter says next is usually the piece where you see church divisions, church arguments, because it's not that these men are simply men who shepherd, teach, and govern. It's the way they do it. He says, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So elder shepherds govern and teach and lead and shepherd by being an example, by being an example. Um, not trying to gain power, not by strong-arming people, not by trying to exalt themselves, but by serving the church eagerly. They love to do it. I will say this. Pastoring is difficult, but I love doing it. Like, like pastoring is not, you know, a, a fantasy, right, where everything is just great and perfect, but I, I genuinely love that I get to teach you the Bible. I genuinely love that I get to shepherd and encourage you. I genuinely love that I get to learn from each of you. I love that God gets to spot my weaknesses through pastoring this church. I love that God has given me other elders that I actually like. 
Like, actually enjoy time with them. Like, that's a, that's a blessing. They'll actually love laboring alongside Peter and Mike and John and Don. That actually, we enjoy shepherding meetings, and we actually enjoy business meetings. We actually enjoy going out and not having meetings. We actually enjoy going to one of those houses and talking and calling each other and texting. That's actually a genuine joy of ours. We actually love each other and like each other and enjoy shepherding you all and pastoring you all. That's a, that's, that's a gift. That's a, that's a, a joy that we, that we have. And, and we see that it's, it's eagerly. It's not under compulsion. No one's forcing any of us to do this. Listen, man, I, I could put my resignation tomorrow <laughs> if I wanted to. Like, like, no one's forcing anyone to stay in this office. God himself and the righteousness of his son and his calling over our lives is what keeps us faithful. And him saying, this is what I want you to do. And us following behind him in a way that would be helpful. This is the other thing it means uh, before I end. Um, this means the elders are not untouchable. I mean, that text would show you elders are not untouchable. Um, there, there's an availableness to them, not in, I can meet with you tomorrow at 5 o'clock, but I mean, there's just a, a desire there. there there's, a, there's a presence about them where there's an approachableness. Um, where you can speak, you can talk, you can ask questions. Um, the elders of the church need to be held accountable by the members as to how they lead the church. Um, and the Bible actually gives you prescription for this. If you're a covenant member here, First Timothy will say, if you have a charge against an elder that's disqualifying in nature, you should bring two or three witnesses alongside that say, yeah, I see this too. Yeah, I agree with this too. Not just speculation, but, but saying, hey, others are aware of this. Um, deficiencies in a way that would be such that would disqualify this brother from office. That's what they say. And listen, if there's, if there's a disagreement between you and an elder that's just on a unilateral level, I mean, you follow the same principles that, that members follow. We get into all this in our member class, but Matthew 18 is the same thing. Go to him and just talk to him. Man, I've been hurt by this. I feel broken by this. I feel uh, bothered by this. Uh, can, we, can we resolve this? And Lord willing, God would allow you to resolve that. Um, but, but when it talks about disqualifying nature of sins, that means you bring witnesses that say, yeah, I see this too. Yeah, I agree with this too. I see this in this person. I want to end with two things. Number one, this might seem selfish and not, I'm going to say it anyways. The best thing you can do is not thank us, even though I'm so grateful when you thank us, is not just encourage us, and I'm, I'm grateful when you encourage us. The best thing you can do for Peter and the elders is pray for us. And look, I, I, I hesitate even saying that because it's so Christianese. Pray for me. You talk to 70 people today. Oh, I'll pray for you, brother. Pray. No one's going to. They're not actually going to pray, right? How many times do we say that? Oh, I'll pray for you this week. Pray for you this week, right? No, you got to feel the weight of that. When you tell someone you're going to go to God on high through your mediator, Jesus Christ, and ask him to do something that only his Holy Spirit could empower that person to do, man, you better mean that right? Like, we can't throw around this classic cavalier, hey, praying for you, praying for you, yeah, prayed for you this week, right? No, let's genuinely mean it. So when I say this, I mean this genuinely. I mean, pray for protection, pray for courage, pray for sustainment, pray that we don't fail, pray that we don't disqualify ourselves, pray that God would keep us faithful, pray keep us holy. I mean, we desperately need your prayers. Now, you can go to Ephesians 6. I'll just ride Paul's coattails for a minute. He says, hey, as you're praying for the church, pray for me. Pray for me. You're going, why pray for Paul, man? He's got it all figured out. Because Paul and we need the same gospel you need every day. I mean, if you think we're exempt from gospel living, if you think we're exempt from needing the desperate plea of Jesus to protect us from sin, the elders always talk about the minute we get away from our Bible, we're done. 
Like, if I have a morning where my face isn't in my Bible, man, I'm, I'm headed somewhere bad. Okay, so can, can you pray for discipline? Pray for, for meditation on the Word? Pray for God to speak? I mean, I'm, I'm asking you to pray, especially for Peter as he's starting out this thing. His, his target just grew tenfold from the enemy, just wanting to boom um, on all of us. So, so pray for awareness. Pray for uh, just a loving home life. Pray for, for help from the Holy Spirit for us. I mean, we pray that for you. We go through the entire member list every month. We, we labor for you specifically by name, but, but there are times we, we miss it. But we're asking for just, if you guys could, just if you think of us to do that. Um, the healthy ch- health of the church is really based upon the health of its leadership. And, and listen, in of ourselves, we are not healthy men. Through the help of the Holy Spirit, we can grow in health and faithfulness to Jesus. So we need him to do that. Lastly, I would say this. Um, As we go through this, some of you are challenged. Some of you are convicted. Some of you are, Lord willing, examining the spots in your own life. And you realize that, man, if this is the portrait of a mature and healthy Christian, man, (laughs) I got like maybe one of seven. Um, there's great news. This is why Jesus came, Jesus lived, Jesus died as the perfect righteous life as our substitute for our sin, and he gives you his Holy Spirit and empowers you to walk and live and grow mature progressively in the image and likeness of Jesus, who is 1 Timothy 3. Um, so that's what we love about being Christians. This is ultimately elders, ultimately members, ultimately attenders are not saved by the fruits of their works, but by the fruits of Jesus' work and his life and his death and his resurrection. Right? One is gospel, one is religious. And so we're not men who are trying to strive in of our own strength to just be these things. We're pleading with God to be our compass and his Holy Spirit would allow us to walk in maturity and greater holiness and continue to repent and put sin to death and continue to walk in the image and likeness of his son. That's the prayer. That's the hope. And so as you're seeing this, listen, man, the gospel is available to you. He will embrace you. He will forgive you. He will make you spotless, blameless, and righteous as his son. And not only that, then he empowers you to actually live a life that begins to image and look like Jesus. So he declares you righteous positionally and says, on the cross, you need a champion. All of us at the end of, on the day of judgment are going to go, I need someone to stand in my place. I fall way short. I deserve hell. I deserve wrath. I deserve judgment. I am imperfect. And Jesus, our champion, stands and declares us righteous. And he says, I see Jesus Christ. I don't see the wickedness of Mike Reed. And he has now positionally declared us that. But what's awesome is in glory alone, we'd be fully like Jesus. The Bible tells us that we see in part, yet not perfect and that when we see him we'll be just like him Uh, but as of now we're ever increasingly growing more into the image of him and so that's exciting for the christian if you have the holy spirit and you're a christian you want that i don't have to force or prove to a christian they should desire holiness that's intrinsically in you you're a new creation doesn't mean that, that that it looks different on the scale with different people but there's at least an inkling of want to hate your sin and love him more And if that's there, there's encouragement. There's encouragement for us. And this is why we can't miss what I started with, the real thing that makes Church of Bergen work. Don't miss verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you receive the unfading crown of glory. Jesus is the shepherd and overseer of our souls. So elders likewise shepherd the flock to know the senior pastor, the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. He's the overseer of your soul. We're under shepherds, we watch, we guard, we, we, we rebuke, we exhort, we walk alongside, but ultimately, right, we entrust ourselves to him. First Peter 2 is going to say that. The, the, the final overseer of our souls, that's who we go to, that's who we enjoy. Who is the senior pastor, Jesus Christ? That's why I don't take the, the label senior pastor. 
That's just me. There's one senior pastor, Jesus Christ. I'm an elder. I'm an under-shepherd. That's who I am. Underneath the church of Jesus Christ, who is to shepherd and go before and walk alongside Jesus. Jesus said, I'll build my church. He has built this church. Hebrews says he's the apostle, capital A. Jesus Christ is preeminent. Jesus Christ plants all churches. He sustains all churches. He preserves all churches. The key to Church of Birkin is very simple. Jesus Christ is the leader. Very simple. That's the key to this whole thing working. He's God. I'm definitely not God. Peter ain't God. None of the elders are God. He's God. He's in charge. Senior elder. He's redeemer. He's savior. He's Lord. He's forgiver of sin. He's judge. He's the one who will redeem the entire earth and destroy it and remake a new heavens and new earth. He's the one who will judge the living and the dead. He's the one who will sanctify and save all of his sheep. He's the one we'll all give an account to. He's the one who sees all things that are unseen. He's the one who can perfectly with full authority love, shepherd, and guide his church. Amen? So we get under him. Thank you. At least two people are thankful for that and excited for that. So that's how we walk. That's how we live. That's how we enjoy life together. And as soon as any elder or pastor tries to step into the shoes of Jesus Christ, I'm telling you it's headed for a disaster. And that's when it all falls apart. So we need to ask God to help us to be under him, that he would preserve us to the end. He is the one who started church at Bergen, and he will finish it, and he will preserve it to the end. Praise God that it's not up to your elders and pastors. And that Jesus promised he'd do that. You know, you're a part of the one institution that will never fail. It was promised it would never fail because it's over him. Let's pray and, and ask God for help where we might need help because we're going to invite you to communion, Lord's Supper. It's remembering Jesus, his body that was broken, his blood that was shed for sin. We're going to sing and celebrate and worship that he is our senior pastor, that he is our good shepherd, that he is our God. And might, us, might we pray for each of us that regardless of our roles, we be mature men and women in Jesus. That we all might see this list and realize it is impossible without the empowering work and grace of the Holy Spirit. That even to get on the path of sanctification, we need justification first. We need Jesus to make us righteous and spotless and blameless through the work of his Son. We need forgiveness of sin finally and fully. We need to be made one with Jesus Christ. There's forgiveness available for you. There, there are some of you that are not Christians, and grace and forgiveness is available to you. The good news of the gospel is not that God just makes you nicer, but that he makes you totally new. He transforms you into a new creation that has the capacity to enjoy him for all that he is and love him for all that he does. You can turn from sin and repent and enjoy him today as your senior pastor, as your chief shepherd. Maybe some of you have been wounded by churches, wounded by leadership, wounded by elders. I, I don't know. Um, but, but maybe it's you, again, entrusting yourself not to man, but to Jesus. Submitting yourself to Jesus, not to man. That your ultimate worth, your ultimate security, your ultimate joy is in the overseer of your souls, Jesus Christ. And your confidence is laid there. Others of you, maybe you look at this list and you say, man, I, I, I'm just so missing the mark. Remember that Jesus perfectly made the mark for you and became the righteousness that was necessary for you and now enables you and empowers you to live a life of enjoyment of him and, and honor to him. Uh, where are those places where you need more help from the Holy Spirit? Ask him this morning, God, refine me, shape me, grow me in this particular area, whatever one might have maybe pricked you a little bit more than another one. Grow me as 
a mother, as a father, as a parent. Grow me as a lover of you. Free me from my love of wealth. Free me from the love of all these other false gods and pretenses that constantly and consistently fail me. Continually lead me to Jesus, the one who satisfies my soul, who Psalm 23 says he is the shepherd who puts us beside still waters and restores our souls. Prepares a table for us in the place of our enemies and anoints our heads with oil and our cups runneth over. Goodness and mercy should follow us all the days of our lives underneath him. Enjoy him. And then we'll come to the table and enjoy remembering this Jesus, this this pastor who laid down his life for his sheep and broke his body and shed his blood so that we could enjoy not only the saving benefits of being in him, but actually living life now in accordance with how he's designed it and wired it for the fullness of our joy and glory of his name. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.